Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast, a show created to be your go-to source for straightforward retirement advice. Best of all, it is presented in a language that you can understand. Are you ready for some straight talk on retirement planning without all the fluff? Well, you found the right podcast. Here's your host, certified financial planner, Greg Gonzalez. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm Greg Gonzalez. Thanks for joining me today. I hope everybody out there is enjoying their summer. I know all the kids out there are on summer break, or most of them anyway. The teachers are on summer break. So a lot of our clients that are in the education field are off for the summer, and they're wanting to come in for their update sessions or review meetings is what we like to call them to update their retirement plan and kind of get up to speed on how things look this year for 2023. And it's funny, the teachers that we work with and have as clients, if they're still working, they always want to try to come in and schedule their appointments on like Martin Luther King Day and those kinds of days where they're off school and they kind of know that, hey, the stock market may be closed, but we try to keep our office open on those days to accommodate the teachers that just work so hard and do such a great job out there. Because teachers in this country are way, way underappreciated and they're not acknowledged like they should be. So the least we can do is accommodate them on days like Martin Luther King Day when they're off school. So I hope the kids and the teachers and everyone that's off for the summer is enjoying their summer, like I said. But we're about midway through the year and just have been getting a ton of questions lately here at my company, St. Louis Retirement Advisors. And not just people locally, people from the podcast, which is really, really neat. We have clients in over 20 different states. I would think we're getting close to 25 or 26 by now. And I really enjoy working with people from across the country. And for example, the guy who does my website, he used to be in California and then he moved to Texas. I've never met him face to face but I've talked to him on the phone and over Zoom dozens and dozens of times. And he's just like a really down to earth, nice guy, hardworking. And the fact that he's in Texas, I really don't mind that at all. If he was a block away, I think I would get the same exact service from him. And I think that's what we try to do with our clients, even if they're in across the country, if they're in California or Maine or Florida, wherever they are, they're going to get the same level of attention and service as someone who lives locally here in St. Louis. So a lot of the questions we're getting are from people not only here in the greater St. Louis area, but also across the country with the podcast. We've got a TV program here in St. Louis, but it also airs and halfway across Illinois and most of Missouri as well. So that's kind of neat. So getting phone calls and emails from people. And so I thought I would devote this podcast episode kind of to be a rapid fire questions. And these questions are just what I've been getting from different folks. Some of them are clients, some of them are not yet clients, and some of them are just looking for help and don't plan on being clients. So I thought this episode would be insightful as we kind of address these questions, because some of them I just, I get kind of repetitively over and over and over. And that tells me that these are kind of common thoughts that are on people's minds And if more than one person is asking the same question, that tells me that probably there's dozens and dozens of people out there that have that same question. So that's what we're going to do on today's episode, kind of a rapid fire question after question after question. And I'm not going to spend 20 minutes on a single question. So I'm just going to kind of keep going. But if you have questions, you know where to find me on my website retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. At the bottom, it says, ask Greg a question. You can submit your question right there 
Or if it's a more in-depth question, you can sign up for a 30-minute retirement coaching call right there on the website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. All right, let's jump into some questions today. This should be a lot of fun. So the first question that I wanted to cover, I've had multiple emails. I've had a couple clients call about this. And then I've had podcast listeners that had these questions, the the same exact question. It just kind of keeps coming up over and over again. So I thought it'd be helpful if I kind of explained it. So I've had multiple people out there that are inheriting IRAs. Most commonly, it's inheriting an IRA from mom or dad. And this question quite simply is, if you inherit a pre-tax, a traditional IRA that was owned by your mom or dad, they pass away, now you get your portion. If you're an only child, you're the only beneficiary, then you would get 100% of it in that example. Maybe you're splitting it up. If you have a sibling, 50% goes to your sibling, 50% goes to you because you're listed as the primary beneficiaries. So you would get what's called a beneficiary IRA. And the way that works is for people that inherited mom or dad's IRA after January 1st of 2020, you have what's called the 10-year rule. And how that works is, is you have 10 years to take distributions out of that beneficiary IRA and pay the taxes. By the end of the 10th year, all the money needs to be distributed from that beneficiary IRA that you now own, and the taxes need to be paid. And so the account basically is then empty at that point. And you can take it nothing in years one through five. If you're retiring in six years from now, maybe you just want to not take these distributions out of this beneficiary IRA until you retire and you're in a more favorable tax environment. But the question is, is how do I get this beneficiary IRA? Can I convert this beneficiary IRA to a beneficiary Roth IRA? And the answer is no, you cannot. You can't even convert the beneficiary IRA to your own Roth IRA. And I've just had so many, so many people that have reached out saying, hey, how do I do a Roth conversion on a beneficiary IRA that's not my own IRA? It's from mom or dad. I inherited it from mom or dad. And the answer is you just, you can't, unfortunately. And a similar question to that is for the people that are charitably inclined that maybe inherited mom or dad's IRA and they say, hey, we would like to gift part of this money. If we're taking the money out over 10 years, we would like to gift some of the distributions to charity. And then that way, we don't have to pay taxes on the money that we're giving to our church or some other charity or nonprofit that you're passionate about. And unfortunately, with beneficiary IRAs, I don't know why the IRS and Congress haven't given us the ability to do so, to be able to do qualified charitable distributions out of beneficiary IRAs. But unfortunately, as the law stands now, you cannot do that. So again, if you inherit mom or dad's IRA after January 1st, 2020, you have 10 years to get that money out of the IRA, and you have to pay the taxes. And Roth conversions are not allowed on beneficiary IRAs. And the next question that was submitted was in regards to rolling over a 401k into a 403b. Can it be done? How do you do it? How does it all work? So if you're not familiar what a 403b is, this is going to be 
like hospitals, school districts. 403Bs are for nonprofit organizations, whereas 401Ks are going to be for the for-profit companies, or if you work for a Fortune 500 company, guess what? They're probably going to have a 401K. So if the person is changing jobs in this question and they're going from a 401K to a 403B, they're wondering, is that even allowed? Does it have to go 401K to 401K or 403B to 403B? And how it works is actually pretty simple is it can go 403B rolled over to a 401k. It can be a f- old 401k can be rolled over to a, a new 403B. These are called employer sponsored retirement plans. So yes, you are absolutely allowed to roll over your old 401k into your new 403B. How does it work? Well, you will contact the old custodian on your 401k, and let's say it's Fidelity or Vanguard or Schwab or any of these big companies that offer 401ks, you would just call them, call the 800 number and kind of explain your situation. Hey, I switched jobs, changed jobs. I'm now working, let's say at this hospital, they offer a 403b and I would like to roll over my 401k into my new 403b. What information do you need from me? And the representative will be able to help you over the phone. Some places, some custodians even let you do it right through the online portal for your old 401k. I like talking to somebody on the phone and making sure it's done properly, getting a confirmation number and that kind of stuff. And we do this literally on a weekly basis for clients. It always seems like a client is either changing jobs or retiring. We get a lot of people, St. Louis Retirement Advisors, guess what? We have a lot of people that we help retire and other people Maybe they're job changers wanting to roll over an old 401k, or I actually had a client that inherited his mother's 401k, and he was able to roll that over as well. And while I'm mentioning that, I'm going to say this because I feel like I need to. I've had three clients that had inherited retirement accounts from mom or dad so far this year, and here I'm recording in June. Now, one of these clients was also retiring. I looked at their 401k statement. It's a brand new client. Looked at their 401k statement and it said zero primary beneficiaries, zero contingent beneficiaries. So this individual was married and just had never listed his wife and children as beneficiaries. And I was thinking, my goodness, I'm glad you met me because I mean, this could be a huge, huge problem down the road if something were to happen to him. But not only that, but when he inherited his mom's IRA, His mom's financial advisor didn't list beneficiaries on some of her accounts. In other words, didn't list her children on as her beneficiaries. And so there were some accounts that are going to have to go through probate. And then there was an old 401k that his mom, again, didn't have beneficiaries on her old 401k account. So that's going to be kind of a mess that we're kind of working through. Then there was another client that it was a similar situation where one of the accounts, for whatever reason, the parent that they're inheriting money from did not list beneficiaries on those accounts. And then when they called Fidelity, Fidelity said, well, you're right, nobody's listed. There's nothing we can do. So these custodians, and I mentioned Fidelity, and and Fidelity's got a great reputation, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus or anything. But quite frankly, when you're not working with a financial advisor who cares, a specific financial advisor that knows you, knows your story, knows your retirement vision, and you just have your account somewhere 
with a big company, they don't call you and say, hey, you might want to add beneficiaries to these accounts in case something happens to you. You're just kind of a number. And in most of these situations, like I said, that we're dealing with now, something as simple as listing beneficiaries was not done. It wasn't completed. And these firms didn't even alert these nice people that their accounts literally had zero beneficiaries listed. So that's kind of my lesson for the day. I just thought I'd throw that out there because we're helping some clients deal with these situations. And unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of money spent in probate and hiring an attorney to get things taken care of. And if beneficiaries would be listed, you wouldn't have had to worry about any of that. So the next question, I've had a couple of these questions. I don't know what it is, but these were submitted via email about private equity, private real estate investment trusts, and how do you get the money out of these things, and can they be sold? I mean, it really depends on, these are called alternative investments, right? So they're outside of the stock market, the bond market, money markets, all that kind of stuff. These are non-traditional assets, and in most cases, they're illiquid. And so you got to be really, really careful about investing your money in these, because quite frankly, there's a lot of them that just end up being like sinking ships. It's like locking your money up into something that's illiquid. There's a ton of risk. The dividends are not promised. They can be cut or eliminated at any time. And then your money is essentially trapped in this illiquid investment that it's not liquid. So it's not like a stock or a mutual fund that you can sell on a daily basis. You are a shareholder in an alternative investment that's not publicly traded. So yes, it doesn't go up and down like the stock market, but how do you value something like that? It's very, very difficult. A lot of times it'll be net asset value and they'll come up with some kind of price, but getting your money out of these things is going to be a real, real struggle Typically, it's death or disability. Sometimes there's quarterly redemptions that you can request, and they'll allow you up to a certain amount of money where you basically fill out some paperwork and try to get a redemption, try to cash out some of this illiquid investment. And some of them, upon death, they become liquid, and others don't. Even others, even if the account owner passes away, the beneficiaries would just essentially own this illiquid investment. I've had it work both ways. I've had clients that mom or dad passes away and they have this illiquid real estate investment trust that isn't paying a dividend. It's kind of like a piece of paper until there's a liquidity event or they get a dividend. I've had others where upon death of mom or dad, it's a liquidity event. And so they'll actually get a check from this alternative investment. So be very, very careful with these is what I would say. There's a limit on how much you can invest in them as far as your liquid net worth. You don't want to be putting a big percent of your overall portfolio in these things. The big reason being is because of all the risks involved with them. And also it's illiquid. You can't get to your money. So it's kind of like if you've seen those commercials where the nice couples at the beach or the park and they're like, oh, well, John Smith, he enjoys his life now that he's taking this medication. And then at the end of the commercial, it's all these risks and warnings and disclosures. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to take that medication. So be careful with these private equity, non-traded real estate investment trusts. Proceed with caution. Next up is a question about the survivor benefit when it comes to social security planning. 
and when that begins. And so basically this person had a very sad story where their neighbor, she lost her husband recently and she's 57 years old. Husband was older. He was 64 years old and they were both retired and weren't in the best shape financially. And with her being 57 years old, the question was, is she going to be able to get a social security survivor check? The husband was 64 years old when he passed away and was receiving social security and social security seemed to be giving her the runaround as far as getting her survivor benefit. Well, the answer is, unfortunately, the survivor benefit is when your spouse passes away. Unfortunately, you have to be 60 years old at a minimum to be able to receive that survivor benefit. So the neighbor of this podcast listener, again, was 57 years old. Her husband passed away. He was 64 years old. So she's still three years away from being able to claim that survivor benefit. So this listener had indicated that they weren't in the best shape financially, and she was really concerned about her neighbor, who's only 57, and she needs the income coming in every month. Well, unfortunately, that survivor benefit's going to be there for her, but it's not going to start until she's 60 years old. So she would have to look at other means as sources of income between now and then. So if they were my clients, and depending on their financial situation, of course, this is one of those instances where a life insurance policy for the husband would have been a good idea until the wife was at least 60 years old. And then the bad news is the survivor benefit starts at age 60, but it's greatly reduced if you claim it right away at 60. You don't have to claim it right away at age 60, she would actually be able to wait and she would get deferral credits on it. Now, of course, it doesn't sound like she's going to want to wait past age 60 because she needs the money, but that's something I wanted to point out. So a lot of people ask me, should I keep my life insurance? Now that we're retired, should I keep my life insurance? I look at the age of the younger spouse. I want to look at the social security survivor benefit. And if the younger spouse, like in this example, the husband was 64 and she was 57, like I said, it might make a lot of sense for him to hold on to that term life insurance policy until she gets to age 60 or later, depending on their situation. And I know a lot of people out there want to stop paying for these life insurance policies, stop paying the premium so they can save that extra expense now that they're not working in retirement, but maybe don't pull the trigger on it so fast if it's something that still needs to stay in place to protect that younger spouse. The next question was actually pretty simple. It was about if one spouse is working, making $50,000, the other spouse is retired can they both contribute to a Roth IRA or can only the spouse that's earning the $50,000 of income? And the answer is, fortunately, you can contribute to both Roth IRAs. There's the spousal Roth IRA, which if you're over 50 in 2023, that's $7,500 a piece. So hypothetically, if let's say the wife was working, the husband was retired, the wife is making $50,000, they're both over 50, they could each contribute $7,500 to each of their respective Roth IRAs. And I cannot tell you how many people 
that I have talked to or met over the years that were not aware of that spousal IRA or Roth IRA contribution limit. So in other words, let's just assume that the wife is a stay-at-home mom and has helped doing a wonderful job raising the children, and she has no earned income, right? Any W-2 income or something like that. The husband, he's working, and they are a one-income household with her staying home and raising the children. And most of these couples will tell me, oh, the husband's the one with the earned income. He's the only one that can contribute to a Roth IRA, and therefore, we never opened one for whatever the wife's name is. Maybe it's Pam or Janet or Cindy or whoever it is. And they are just mistaken. They are just misinformed. Somebody told them the the wrong thing somewhere down the line, and even though she doesn't have earned income, they can still contribute to a spousal Roth IRA as long as his income meets the criteria. And the last question, I've got this a few times so far this year already, is as far as like the gift tax exclusion. And many of you have heard that maybe you have friends that will gift money to their adult children, or maybe their parents will gift money to them. Typically, people do this at the end of the year, around the holidays, Christmas time, that kind of thing. And you might have heard people say, oh, you can only gift up to $15,000 a year. And if you gift any more than that, you got to pay taxes on it. And this is a very, very misunderstood topic. So I wanted to kind of explain it a little more. So the annual gift tax exclusion. So for 2023, it went up to $17,000. So what that means is, is I can gift any one person $17,000 per year. I can write them a check or hand them cash, $17,000, and then I don't need to report that gift on my taxes. I'm not going to pay any taxes on that $17,000. Again, I just wrote them a check as a gift and said, God bless you. And then they, as the gift recipient, they don't have to report that $17,000 on the gift. Now, my wife, she could also gift the same person $17,000. And so that would be $34,000 that me and my wife could gift one single person. It could be our daughter. And if you're a married listener out there, you could gift $17,000 to one of your children and your spouse could gift $17,000 to that same child. Nobody would have to report the money on their taxes. It's only if you gift more than $17,000 in a given year where you will need to report that gift on your tax return. It's just an extra gift form. It's reporting that you gave in excess of the $17,000 to any one person in a given year. So you're just reporting that to the IRS. You don't have to pay any taxes on it. They don't have to report it on their tax return that they received more than the $17,000. It's the person that does the giving that has to report that. So that's why you hear, used to be $15,000 in 2023, it's $17,000. So a lot of the wealthy will gift $17,000 in a single year, and they'll call their tax accountant and say, hey, how much can I give this year to my children? What has the annual gift tax exclusion gone up to? And I know some of you might be thinking, must be nice. <laughs> must be nice to be able to gift all my kids $17,000 a year, each husband and wife doing that. But 
So I hope that is a good synopsis and summary of how the gift tax rule works. And before I go, I wanted to give everybody a gift or a little recommendation. I have a 40-minute drive to work every day. So that's 80 minutes in a car, you know, driving to and from work. And what I will recommend to you is if you're not listening to podcasts like Retirement Made Easy, you can also listen to audiobooks. And I found one, I'm kind of late to the game. It's called Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. It's by James Clear. Over 15 million copies have been sold worldwide. It's a New York Times bestseller. It is a very, very interesting book about building good habits and getting good results, remarkable results, uh, is what the author calls it. So I've really, really enjoyed that. Again, Atomic Habits is the title of that book, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So, hey, this has been fun. If you have questions, go to my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. I'll see you next week. And remember, always dream big. Thank you for listening to the show today. Check us out at our website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. And if you want some help from Greg, submit your questions at the bottom of the page or sign up for a 30-minute retirement coaching session with Greg. We'll see you next week.